Well, good afternoon and welcome back, everyone. My name is Alicia Jones, and this is Midwest Bosses. This is now our second episode for my particular section of the podcast. And again, we cover women's empowerment as well as mental health and job readiness. I have the elated pleasure of having the amazing Dr. Laura Escobar Ratliff with us. And she is going to be telling us a little bit about herself and what she does in the lane of social work, an area that is near and dear to my heart. So you all are in for a treat and I cannot wait to go ahead and get this conversation started. So Dr. Escobar, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You are more than welcome. Thank you for just accepting our offer and being here today. We greatly appreciate it. So we're just going to go ahead and dive on in. Tell the listeners what you do, just a little bit about yourself and your background, if you don't mind. Sure, absolutely. So um, I am a clinical assistant professor at the College of Social Work and the University of Kentucky. I'm also the director of our Doctorate of Social Work program. So it is an advanced doctorate degree, which differs than a PhD. Mm -hmm. PhDs are research focused, Mm -hmm. we're practice focused. I have my BSW, I have a doctorate in social work, and I've been in the field 20 plus years now, yes. uh, done the gamut. I, mm-hmm. The youngest person I worked with was probably hmm, around one. Um, and the oldest person I worked with was probably in their mid to late 70s. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've worked across the spectrum working in residential and community health and substance use treatment. Um, but the majority of my career was spent in community mental health, working primarily with adults with severe and persistent mental illness and co-occurring substance use. That's my passion. Yeah. And, and my role primarily in community mental health was helping to keep people in the community, mm-hmm. decreasing institutionalization, whether that was hospitalization or jail, um, but to help people to be successful in the community. Absolutely. I transitioned more recently to um, academia uh, back in 2020, right before COVID hit, Mm -hmm. um, is when I started with UK and working with people working towards a doctorate of social work. Once I got my doctorate, I saw the need for us in the field Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be part of that because there's so much, no disrespect to other helping professions or attorneys, MBAs, we need all of those folks. But social workers bring a specific lens, a holistic lens that is social justice oriented, focused on our most marginalized populations. And we need those folks in leadership roles in agencies and hospitals and government. And that is my mission now is I've transitioned from working directly with folks Mm -hmm. and programs to helping educate future social workers and future social work leaders. And that is that's my mission. I absolutely love that mission, Miss Laura. Um, you say it's about really helping people stay in the community. Mm-hmm. And it takes a very unique person and a purpose person and a persevering person to be in the line of work that we do. Uh, like I said, I am not a social worker, but I have been in the realm of human servitry for over 15 years. And as you said, the organizations, the social workers, the case managers, we're needed, <laughs> okay? We are needed and a lot of people um, disregard 
you know, the need for that holistic support, if you will. So I just commend you for all of your work that you are doing, um, not just for your generation, but for thereafter, because that is what's really going to solidify that foundation going forward. So again, Thank you <laughs> immensely for being here. We greatly appreciate it. Um, so thank you so much for giving us uh, your background. Um, so when it comes to social work, I know a lot of people hear those two words and they may think, oh, well, you just go around and you take people out of homes or, you know, they may get it misconstrued with something else. So can you tell us a little bit about how social work has played a role in your life as to who you are and what you do today. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So social work, I was born to be a social worker. That is my calling, no doubt in my mind. I, I found a profession that mirrored my personal values mm -hmm. and they are congruent because social work practitioners are are focused on valuing the dignity and worth of all people and helping people to be successful in how they choose to, not how I choose to, how they choose to. Yes. So as a child, um, my parents were very involved with the church, very mission oriented. Both of them worked as missionaries. Both my parents are from Nicaragua. Um, my brother was born in Honduras and I was the first born in the United States, but I was raised in the United States as was my brother. Um, but we, in Nicaragua, like my mother created a school for children because in Nicaragua, if you didn't have money to go to school, you didn't go to school. Mm -hmm. So she, along with the church and other ladies at the church, created pathways for children to go to school despite having money or clothes or any of those things. My father was a minister. We, we, when they came to the United States, uh, they came, I think in the 60s, um, my, both my father went into school and got his master's in social work. Yeah. Again, very congruent with his mm -hmm. ministerial work. Mm -hmm. um, so it was always modeled for us mm -hmm. as children in our family to be of service to mm -hmm. others. And that is something that we saw other community members help this new immigrant family acclimate to the United States. Mm -hmm. and grow and be successful mm -hmm. and it's paying that forward mm -hmm. I, I can I just recently went to a meeting at my daughter's school and my daughter goes to Hawthorne Elementary which is an immersion oh. school yeah. and we I went to a meeting that was geared towards Spanish-speaking families mm. and it was a room full of so many families and mm -hmm. it was all conducted in Spanish so these families could help orient to school right mm -hmm. well, flashback to when I was her age there was my high school, went to J-Town High School. Mm -hmm. There were three of us. Yeah. One was my brother and one was one other person. Right. Out of the entire school. I didn't wow. see people who looked like me. Right. When I was that age, there was one Cuban restaurant in the entire city. Mm. No Mexican restaurants, no taquerias, one Cuban restaurant. My parents, to create community when we came to the United, to Kentucky, because we were in Arkansas at first, mm -hmm. At first, they got the phone book out and started highlighting surnames that were Spanish to build a community. Love that. And reached out to families and said, hey, doesn't matter what your faith is, we have faith, we want to bring everybody together because we need community. Mm -hmm. So that was modeled for me all throughout my childhood. I wanted to give that to other folks. Yes. And 
that's what I do. I love that. Uh, you said so many things. It's just, whew, got goosebumps because it's just, it's, when you are born, as you said, or like I like to say, uh, I was bred for this. I was born for this. It, it hits different. It comes from a different place of admiration and compassion and just wanting to be able to uh, spread that love and that purpose. Um, it's just invigorating for me. So I just, I'm so glad I'm in company of somebody else that understands that and, and, and wants to continue to spread that. So um, again, thank you uh, for all your work. You said a lot about being able to, about it being instilled in you from your family and having that role model, having that structure um, visually um, in front of you daily. So let's talk a little bit about how you feel your family, your tribe and support system also plays into uh, your line of work and how that can also help other people that are wanting to go down that path of social work as well. So um, I love that question because <laughs> I, if you're passionate about something, not that everybody in your tribe has the exact same thinking because you really don't want that right absolutely right. but they value what you value yes um, value. the running joke in my my home is that uh my husband also has a master's and a doctorate in social work <laughs> he does but and i did get him when i graduated yeah. you could get like these pretend degrees for your support people yes. and i got him one i love that because he i i remember when i got my master's um he was there every step of the way of reading what I wrote. Yes. His background isn't social work mm -hmm. at all. Um, his uh, undergraduate was focused on criminal justice, or yeah. actually I think justice administration. So he had a different lens. He's an officer for Metro Animal Services, a very different lens than what I have. Mm -hmm. But it, it bred really fruitful discussion and we could challenge each other's thinking. Yes. So, you know, my daughter, who's now 10, um, both of us are very mindful of her understanding world events and current events. Mm -hmm. And so she asks questions, she's challenging things, things that were normative for us, um, she's asking about. Like I, Christmas, two, three Christmases ago, mm -hmm. um, I grew up watching White Christmas with my family, love musicals. Mm -hmm. So I showed it to my daughter and I said, let's watch this. This is one of mommy's favorite uh, shows or movies. She watches it and she turns to me and she said, is it called White Christmas because there's only white people in it? Mm. And it hit me mm -hmm. like a brick. I was like, oh. I said, you're right. I said, no. So that led to this conversation of marginalization yes. and oppression mm -hmm. and how that is systemic. Absolutely. Um, but I was proud that she, I never thought that. So that sharing of your of what you do with your family mm -hmm. grows the the mission and the reach of what you do as a social worker absolutely um, because you're changing the framework of thinking for other people while also having other people challenge your own thinking yes um, you know i have friends I, I think i shared with you before i have a book club that includes social workers educators folks in um, business mm -hmm. and, and marketing and it's so interesting to have all of these different views and really wrestle with topics that I might be much more progressive yes. than some of my friends, but we have dialogue, yes. which is missing a lot today. Absolutely. We have really critical dialogue that's needed. Right. And the more we can do that, the more 
the mission of social work practice and my mission of honoring and valuing all people, everybody deserves dignity and worth, Absolutely. can come true. Yes, yes. Oh, you're just dropping the gems today. <laughs> Miss Laura, yes, you are. Um, that actually naturally segues into the next heavy hitter of a question. Um, and you, you, you hit on this briefly, but I just want to dive into it a little bit more because, again, that foundational base is significant in the longevity and the trajectory of a person being able to obtain and see those different opportunities. So describe, if you will, for me, the significance of a family structure, seeing a generational faction go through post-secondary education, as you and your family have, and graduate. And the second part to that is some of our listeners may be the first and only college attending member in their family. What stories of infinite motivation can you share to let the listener know they are not alone? Oh, this is such a great and important discussion. Um, so I'm gonna brag for a minute, but we just graduated our first cohort of DSWs, Doctorates yes. of Social Work. Mm -hmm. And our graduating cohort had the largest number of African-American students achieving a doctorate degree in the history of the University of Kentucky at, in a single Gosh. discipline. Yes. So amazing. Yes. I have been in, I, I taught in academia part-time mm -hmm. and full-time at another university. I've been at UK uh, for the last three years. And I have seen the, the, our dean is Dr. Jay Miller and he is focused and committed to diversity in academia in our college. And I've seen the benefits of what that does. Um, I, I talked to a student the other day who said, wow, do you know I've never seen someone, she's Latina, I've never seen someone who looks like me in a role like yours. It lets me know that I can do it. Representation matters. Absolutely. It's hard to become what you don't see. Yes. We had so many students in our graduating cohort black, white, and brown that were the first to get their doctorate, the first to go to college, and tears of joy as they got their degree. And the doors that will open, mm -hmm. not just for them, but for folks mm -hmm. who see them. The, we have to, not just in higher education, but in K through 12, we have to, absolutely have to, have diverse teachers. Yes because there is a different connection mm -hmm. when you see someone who looks like you. Mm -hmm. I sat in a room at the, the elementary school full of Latinas being led, the meeting was being led by a Latina. Mm -hmm. I never saw that growing up. I remember talking with a colleague of mine, a, a good friend who we went through our doc program together. We both were women of color. Mm -hmm. We both had young children as we were working on our doctorate. We both had to leave our young children at home while we went for residency, yeah. which was really difficult. Mm -hmm. But there was a difference. I had someone who had paved the way for me. My father has his master's and doctorate. My mother has her master's. So they had some understanding of what I was going through. And I remember my father talking to my mother saying, look, you, you need to understand, these two weeks she's gone, she's not gonna talk to you. My mom was used to me talking to her every day. <laughs> She's not going to talk to you. She's right. not going to have time to talk to anybody but her daughter. Okay. Um, and you need to just deal with that. Yeah. My friend was the first in her family. Mm. And her family was supportive. They were cheering her on, but they didn't understand what it was like 
And she would get little off comments mm -hmm. of, well, why, why can't you come to the family dinner? Mm -hmm. Whereas I had people saying, no, she's not coming to the family dinner because she's got to study. Yes. She's got to work. And it's not that her family didn't want her to succeed. They didn't have that understanding. Right. There's one thing to know cognitively what somebody mm -hmm. needs. There's another thing to have experienced it and being able to pay that way. I had, I had a quarterback pushing everyone out of my way, my daddy. She was the quarterback. Yeah pushing her own way. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference for first-generation students. Mm -hmm. And we have to have teachers and faculty who understand that and get in there that with them. And I, I'm not a good football person, so whoever helps the quarterback, <laughs> me being out there helping push right. along so Absolutely. that they're not doing it alone. Yeah. Understanding, understanding that not all education is equal. Yes. So some people are going to come from a background that perhaps they didn't get all the tools they should have had. Precisely. And instead of me saying, how'd you get here and you not know what you're doing? Yes. Saying, okay, let's see, what, what do you have? Where do we need to grow? What do we build? How do I support you to be successful? Meet them where they're at. It's absolutely. not about yes. being exclusionary, yes. but about expanding our understanding of success mm -hmm. and how do we help people succeed? I, if I help you find tools and add to your toolbox and you succeed, how amazing is that? That's not about me. That's me saying, I'm walking with you. Absolutely. And we're going to go down this path, but right. you got to lead the way and mm -hmm. here's some things that are going to help. I'm going to accompany you on the process mm -hmm. as opposed to someone who says, oh, you should already know how to do this. Um, yeah, you're not going to get through this. Yeah. And there are people who are told that. Absolutely. And that's just unacceptable. Very much so. Very much so. And you, again, touched on so many great points. One in particular of meeting them where they're at. One thing that I love of my role of being a human servant um, in human servicery is understanding that at any time when a person comes into my office, the only thing that differentiates me from them is a desk in between us. Mm -hmm. We can be on the other side of that in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And like the pandemic has taught us, if you're not ready, you're going to scramble yourself and getting ready. Mm -hmm. But a lot of us may not know, may have, um, may not have had that support system, may be, as you said, the quarterback, the one that is doing everything and don't know uh, the other things that they need to do to be able to continue that path. So one thing that I really wanna talk about, especially as it pertains to mental health, what do you do to ensure that your mental health is good? as a prominent force in the community, what does your self-care look like? So that, um, that evolves, mm -hmm. right? My self-care early in my career was not where it is today. Mm -hmm. we, we learn and we grow. And, and I think that's one of the things I say to people so often is self-care is a process, yes. not an end goal. There you, go. um, you know, there was a point in my career where I, I wanted to, leave. I did leave social work. Mm -hmm. I tried to do something completely different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to get rich quick and I'm going to do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is not what I'm going to do because mm -hmm. I had burned myself out. Yes. And within a year, I was miserable because I was not doing what I was called to do. Mm -hmm. It wasn't working. Mm -hmm. It was not working. Mm -hmm. So I got back into the field and started Again, but again, hadn't learned too much about self-care. We are better about talking about self-care today yes. than we were 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, my master's program talked about self-care. I have a wonderful mentor for who she is an expert. That's her area of research yes. is self-care in particular with helping professions. So working with her and doing some research around self-care and recognizing that it's not a litmus test. 
that I have to pass. Kids. It's a process I need to walk through. Absolutely. Um, as a, a, an alum that worked with this mentor, Dr. Erlene Grice Owens, Dr. Grice Owens, Dr. Miller, um, our Dean of College of Social Work, and Dr. Uh, Mindy Eves, Mindy Eves Brooks were the editors of the A to Z Handbook on Self-Care. And it's written as a, uh, a practical guide to self-care by practitioners. Mm -hmm. So each letter, each chapter has a different area. Um, and we were asked to think about that. So I wrote Q, the chapter on Q. It was quality because I was in a doc program, had a young child, I was working mm -hmm. full time. I didn't have time for anything, let alone self-care. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Grassoans kept saying, you can't, you gotta, you gotta make time for what works for you. So I started looking at my life of figuring out, okay, where, what, what drives me? Mm -hmm. Connectivity with my family, connectivity with my friends, um, and faith. So I got really intentional and creative about finding space. I have to go to grocery shopping or we're not gonna have groceries. Mm -hmm. So I started buffering in extra time. The first half hour in the grocery store, my daughter was three. She loved to go grocery shopping. We'd go up and down the aisles and she'd point at things and she'd try to read things. Mm -hmm. She'd get worn out, I'd put her in the cart, then I'd get the groceries, mm -hmm. and then we were done. I had one-on-one -on -one time with her. We were playing in a grocery store. Right. But I stopped feeling so guilty about, oh, I should be with Carmen and I'm reading, because I carved out time. I didn't have extra time. It was something I was going to have to do, but I got creative about fitting that in. Absolutely. I stopped listening for a while to the news in the car, mm -hmm. because it stressed me out. Mm -hmm. Um, it made me want to do more advocacy and I was already at my plate was full at the time. Mm -hmm. So I started listening to spirituality songs and music is very important yes. to me and in church songs I grew up on that is that that is my Zen place. Absolutely. So I would oh. sing in the car and play music and bring myself down and I made time to, to connect with friends. Yes. Now, it wasn't necessarily going out for fun because we didn't all have time, mm -hmm. but at least a phone call. Absolutely. So being intentional about those things. I didn't have extra money to spend. Mm -hmm. so I wasn't going to be going out and doing things unless I had to. Mm -hmm. But taking the time to connect with my friends, taking the time to connect with my faith, taking the time to connect with my young daughter. Absolutely. Um, I connected with my husband, too. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he, he might not have been as prioritized as a three-year-old at the time. <laughs> Got you. Um, and again, it's about being intentional. I, I got a lot of, I got intention from what you were saying and making sure that you are, when it comes to self-care, prioritizing yourself mm -hmm. first. One thing that I always tell my clients is, if you've ever been on a plane or watch a movie of being on the plane, when they're doing the safety presentation, what is the very first thing that they tell you? If you are traveling, with a small child or elderly persons, and in the event of a crash, we go down, you gotta put the mask on yourself mm -hmm. first mm -hmm. before you help someone else. Mm -hmm. And that is my mission in life, to be able to recharge and refill myself by staying abreast on trainings, putting myself out there, being able to direct someone with resource, be resourceful mm -hmm. in order to be able to help the upcoming generation. So mm -hmm. I, I got a lot of that from what you were telling me about staying connected to yourself, being intentional. Um, and again, having that strong foundation. Mm -hmm. Yours includes faith and family and being able to hone in on what really motivates you as a mm -hmm. woman, as an individual. So. 
Um, so many great points there. Um, and that actually, again, you, you're just so good at this, Dr. Laura. <laughs> it leads me into my next one of the paradigm of social work and social workers and the positivity that they have. So the question that I have for you is, with social work and social workers, we and they can restore the positive paradigm of an individual's ability, ability to re-identify connotations. So for example, let's take the word no. Some see the letter N and O. Others may see the abbreviation like myself for new opportunities. How significant is the positive and expansive nurturing of a mindset to continue to cultivate these omnidimensional life skill abilities? I know that was a, uh, <laughs> a lot. <but laughs> so so um, I'm gonna go where I think you're going, okay. uh, but tell me if I'm off track. Yeah. I love that you use the word expansive. Mm -hmm. um, so let me start with owning that social workers are ethically bound by our code of ethics that are beautiful about mm -hmm. honoring persons, dignity and worth, about social justice, mm -hmm. about uh, addressing oppression. Um, we're not always great at doing it. Mm -hmm. We have our own issues just like any other discipline. Absolutely. Not everybody's a great medical doctor. You got some not so good ones. Absolutely. Social work practice is no different. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not meant to be disrespectful. It's meant to be transparent. Um, we need to own that we're not where we need to be. Yes. Um, there, we hear a lot about inclusivity. Mm -hmm. mm, nah, I, I don't need that. Because inclusivity is saying, hey, you come into my little box, my little framework, and you fit in here. Yes. That's what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. I grew up very colonized of how do I fit into the American society. Right. Um, I can remember being told by, by friends of, you're a little too Latino. Now I have the knowledge and, and wherewithal to say, what the hell does that mean? Mm -hmm. But as a kid, I was like, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm not fitting in. Yeah. And we were taught to fit in because it was survival. Younger generations aren't doing that anymore. Good for them. Good for mm -hmm. them. And, and I will say I think we have paved the way. Mm -hmm. um, adults of color today have helped pave the way for younger generations. Awesome. But our frameworks, to your yeah. question, have to be expansive because expansive practice and that's what we focus on in our program mm -hmm. is an expansive practice lens means we don't need a box we don't need a circle we don't need a hexagon get rid of the boundaries and let's learn about you from you what you need from what you need because otherwise we're colonizing and we're forcing assimilation absolutely there we need to honor back to the code of ethics yes honor the dignity and worth of all people yes that means you for who you are mm -hmm. not you for fitting into my circle right not you for mimicking what i need to do mm -hmm. i need to honor who you are and understand who you are that's that is what we need having an expansive framework would then mean when we're sitting at the table making changes in K-12 policy, we're making sure all of us are at the table. Absolutely. Not just at the table, but we're also being heard. Mm -hmm. There have been plenty of times I was invited to the table just so you could check the box mm -hmm. and say I was there, yep. but nobody was wanted to hear what right. I had to say. Mm -hmm. mm -mm, that's not expansive frameworks. Exactly. Expansive frameworks brings all voices, and then we ask ourselves, whose voice isn't at this table? Yes. 
we need to get that person yes. here because that is the way we truly create systems that represent all people, mm -hmm. in particular marginalized voices. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, again, so many great ones. I'm just going over it in my head and processing all the great news or great knowledge that I'm getting. Um, you said so much, and again, going back to honoring the dignity and what that person needs. The pandemic has really, it has disrupted that mm -hmm. for a lot of families, for a lot of individuals. Um, and social work, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but social work is about inner work and understand so that the outer work can, can, can match and the longevity of that it matches. So if someone is coming to you saying, hey, you know, I have no shelter, don't just put them in a house. We have to make sure holistically that their mindset is right. You know, are there are there any food insecurities? Is there any, you know, mental health um, assistance, a plan? You know, we call it the boss squad here at Midwood Bosses. You know, having that, that therapist, having that nutritionist, having your whole holistic support team. Mm -hmm. um, to help you with that. So with with what we were just talking about, how do you feel that the families and the communities can help rebuild and re-strengthen some of these, the family structure or give support uh, since the pandemic has happened, uh, whether it be with resources or family support nights, um, I know for myself in the black community, when the pandemic hit, a lot of us, you know, we were forced to realize that mental health is real and mental health affects even us. You know, coming from the background of, you know, well, oh, you're, you're, you're too tough to cry. Don't, you know, just shrug it off. It'll be okay. That conditioning at a young age and then having to, you know, understand that and not accept that as an adult, it can be very hard. You know, and understanding that. So in the pandemic, a lot of people had to shift their thinking and their, their mindset. So what tips or what um, advice would you have for community leaders, uh, community service workers, um, and the family individual as a whole uh, to be able to get that, uh, solidify that back, mm -hmm. that strength of that, of that family force back? So from a... From a systems perspective, um, and let me acknowledge my bias, I'm a social worker, so I think we rock, but from a systems perspective, um, you need a social worker at the Absolutely. table because a, a good social worker is practicing from an ecological perspective mm -hmm. and looking at systems, looking at exactly what you talked about, the individual, the, the family, the community, the systems, the policies, mm -hmm. the processes, the institutions. Um, you know, we in practice for us, it's called micro, meso, and macro practice. Mm -hmm. And in my program and in some other programs, we also talk about a meta practice lens of the integration and interlocking components of all three, including a global lens. Yes. COVID taught us that faster than anything else. Yes. There are global implications to what we do and what we choose and policies we put in place. Uh -huh. So from a systems perspective, recognizing that from a community lens of really reconnecting with the community. Mm -hmm. um, we were all forced for two years, two plus years, and intermittently since then, yeah. to get back in the home. And sometimes that home wasn't safe. Yes. 
sometimes that home was scary. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that home was easy peasy. Mm -hmm. Everybody had different experiences with that. And we have to acknowledge those are different experiences. So coming back out of the home, some are going to come out and it's going to be no big deal. Some are going to come out and it's going to be terrifying. Absolutely. Yep. And some of them, it's the the light at the end of the tunnel they've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. And But even then, there's so much transition of being isolated to now being back to quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm. There. It's it's a new normal. Yeah, uh, we're not going to be what we were two years ago. Right. So we need to understand what our needs are. So in our school systems, you know, you, I was in a, a meeting not too long ago where they were talking about the increased um, uh, fights that are happening in the schools, yeah. and I heard initially some comments about, well, you know, we need to be looking at you know uh, punitive approaches. What are our policies? No. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying there aren't consequences for decisions made, but, and, and, there's a ra reason we know people who specialize in childhood experiences are telling us the trauma that children have experienced, we probably know one iota of what some kids are coming back from right. uh, in the tra trauma they've had in their own home mm -hmm. coming back to school. And to think that there's not going to be implications to that in behavior and coming at it only from a punitive lens we're creating more trauma that, we yes. are really good at re-traumatizing mm -hmm. people who've been traumatized mm -hmm. whether they're children or adults mm -hmm. you did wrong forget what the why behind it we're just gonna throw down the hammer and again not saying that there aren't ever consequences absolutely right but we need to have understanding mm -hmm. going back to that expansive framework yes of having people who can present different perspectives of understanding so that when we move forward with how to make a change, yes. it, it is appropriate because Absolutely. I guarantee your neighborhood and my neighborhood may have some similarities, mm -hmm. but our needs are going to be different and how we're successful is going to look different. Yes. And that's going to look different in Louisville compared to Bullitt County, compared to Spencer County, compared to Illinois, compared to, you know, depending where you are, those things look different. Absolutely. Um, I spent a lot of my career working in, in the rural communities, mm -hmm. and there was so much difference. When I first started out there, there were comments that I'd say, oh, well, we'll just get them on the bus line. We'll call a taxi. And people looked at me like I have 10 heads. Right. <laughs> we don't like, have those. We don't what have that. What's about? that? Right. Mm -hmm. well, what do you do when you can't yeah. get somewhere? You walk? Yeah. Oh. That's a really long way to walk. Well, you do what you got to do. Yeah. And, but I didn't know. I grew right. up in a city my entire, right. I've always been in rural states, but always in the city. Same here. <laughs> Until I started working in rural communities, mm -hmm. I had no clue of the different barriers. Absolutely. And pretty arrogant of me to think I knew. Mm -hmm. But I learned really quickly. Mm -hmm. I didn't know a whole lot of nothing. Right. So we have to be willing to acknowledge our ignorance. Yes. And willing to go to our community because that's who's the expert. Yes. Our community, the people we're serving, the people we're working alongside. Mm -hmm. And I'm intentional about the word serving because I am not somebody's clinician. I'm not their social worker. Absolutely. I I am of service to them. Absolutely. And that is my role and my area of expertise. Yes. But I am being of service to them and working with them and alongside them. Not telling them what to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Giving them that support, being that cheerleader. Um, so if there was an individual, um, it's going to be a two-parter, but there was an individual that was wanting to 
maybe go down your path of becoming um, a social worker and furthering their, their career, what, what advice would you give them now? Um, let's say besides the, the, uh, the coursework needed, um, what certifications, what groups or networks should they be trying to consume themselves with now? We'll say, because this is, especially here in Louisville, um, uh, one of our largest populations is our young adult population, you know, from our 16 to 24 year olds. So talking specifically to them, what would you say if someone wants to give back of themselves and become a social servant? Um, what, what advice would you have for them, Ms. Laura? So I would encourage young people, um, if they're thinking of being of service, whether it's in social work or in another area, to begin volunteering with groups that they have interest in. Absolutely. Um, so that you see what that's like mm-hmm. um, and begin to connect with those, those different populations of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, however, social work isn't volunteer work. There you um, go. <laughs> yeah, we are, I, I tell people right. all the time, we are not volunteers yeah, on steroids. Right. There's a science behind mm-hmm. what we do. Mm-hmm. Just like there's a science behind nursing, medical doctors, psychologists, there, you know, there's theories and, and perspectives and whatnot. So in an early stage of really learning what it means to be a service from mm-hmm. a very, from a, a, a more casual stance as a volunteer, mm-hmm. um, and then as you move forward, if you are thinking about social work practice, what I, I would challenge folks to do is be ready to change. Absolutely. Because if you go through a social work program and you come out the other side the same person, something's wrong. There. Because you are going to be pushed to be introspective about your own privilege. Mm-hmm. And anybody who goes to college, we all have different levels of privilege. Yes. Um, and some, many have much more than others. but. The fact that I could go to college, whether even if it's at an undergraduate level, is a level of privilege. Absolutely. Um, so learning to, because we have to own those things mm-hmm. and know what the, because those things impact our practice. If right. I if I am not reflective about my points of privilege, I will ca- cause harm and perhaps not acute harm, but I will end up instilling my or projecting my beliefs and biases yes. on someone else, which is an oppressive stance. Right. And that is the last thing I want to do. So I have to constantly be reflective about who I am, what I am, where my thinking is coming from, mm-hmm. and challenging those things. That's a lot of active thinking. Absolutely. Um, I tell students all the time, man, this works hard because you're thinking about thinking and you're thinking about the thinking you did and did yes. you think hard enough? <laughs> yes, absolutely. absolutely. But, but that is what is required if you want to be an expansive practitioner mm-hmm. who truly honors the dignity and worth of all people. Absolutely. In particular, our marginalized groups, because you don't want to be part of the group that marginalizes us. Yes. And when you do, own it. That's own it. So that you can move on. I'm Absolutely. Not perfect. Right. I have made mistakes, and I'll be the first one to tell you. Yes. I, I didn't realize what I said, mm-hmm. and that, that caused harm, and I apologize, and I will do better. Mm-hmm. You have to own it. And then do better. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, this um, definitely has solidified that, you know, um, before this conversation, um, Dr. Laura, I, I definitely was iffy about, you know, continuing my education and getting, you know, my um, license in becoming a therapist. But after talking to you, um, it really opened my eyes, you know, in social work. And as you said, some of us are, are bred for this. Some of us are born for this. And when it's your passion, you have the obligation to self to nurture that as best as you can, even if you don't know that you're nurturing it, 
among your lifetime, you, when you have the understanding, it is up to you to be able to understand that and follow through with it. Mm -hmm. You're not always going to know. It's not always going to turn out right. It's not always going to be peaches and cream. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, My life has taught me that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but Mm -hmm. what I always say and pride myself on one thing, my, my father always told me, he said, Alicia, I don't care if you are a, uh, uh, you know, work at, you know, a restaurant or wherever for the rest of your life or something that someone seems as, as insignificant work. He said, whatever it is you do in life, you do it to, you be the best. He said a word I'm not going to say, but <laughs> he said, you be the best person at it. You be the best. Even if you don't know how to do it, you work 10 times harder than the next person to get it done. Ask questions. And that is what I live my mantra by. Making sure that whatever it is that I do in life, as you said, that you face it. You accept it. You acknowledge what's going on. You accept that this is what it is that I have to deal with right now, that it does not define me. Mm-hmm. But this moment is a part of my life and my trajectory. So then, therefore, I can then adapt accordingly. I can act. Mm-hmm. You know, so the second part of that question that we were talking about um, that I want to touch on is if I was an individual of a family or a family member, what are some resources, just a general overview of some community resources or places that I can go as a uh, woman of color or a family of color um, to be able to get those particular resources to rebuild that uh, within our family home? In terms of like familial needs? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, so, you know, there, we have a, a lot of really wonderful programs in Louisville. Um, you know, I, I shared earlier that I have been involved most of my career with community mental health. So our community mental health centers are great resources mm-hmm. um, and can help connect to other resources. Absolutely. You know, family health centers um, is another great resource um, for healthcare needs as well with behavioral health needs. But we have a, a wonderful array of community ministries that can help support folks, and those are specific they're throughout the city yeah. um, to find supports, whether it's for medications or, or rent or electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are those are the first ones that pop into my head right. about resources to reach out to the health department, right. of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, for uh, Latinx families, in particular new immigrants, we have La Casita Center. Mm-hmm. Um, I've shared with you that I'm on the board of La Casita Center. Yes. They do phenomenal work. They do. I've worked um, with them before. Shout out to La Casita. A- yes. Absolutely. So they, you know, they they do a lot of connection of, of Latinx communities. Mm-hmm. Family Health Centers does a lot of work with La Casita mm-hmm. and a lot of partnerships there as well as other places. I'm on the board there as well. Um, but I would say those are, are the the larger ones there's a lot of wonderful churches yes that have programming to mm-hmm. help support um you know i know highland baptist has programs st stephen's has programs you know there's a lot of variety of churches that have different programs um and then you have the crisis and information line mm-hmm. that folks can call uh, and i'm sad that i don't can't think of the number off the top of my head but that that line is a good place to reach out to as well um, to help find connections to, to resources, um, letting them know what you need and being able to, to get a referral to an appropriate source. Absolutely. Um, and there's so many others that I haven't named. Absolutely, absolutely. Just to piggyback off of uh, the one real simple one comes to mind, 211 with uh, yes. Metro United Way. Yes. Connects you to a lot of the uh, services and resources that you were uh, talking about before. Um, so I actually, I just want to take the time again. Um, I know I've said it 
multiple times, but I really am honored to have you as a guest here. You have given us a lot of valuable information. Again, you have like re-inspired me and lit the fire better me so I can, you know, be a better service to my community and myself and, you know, future uh, generations to come. So um, I just want to go ahead and wrap things up, uh, Dr. Laura. And if someone is wanting to get a hold of you um, to uh, speak to you more um, on some of the things that they heard us discuss today, how would they do so? Um, the probably best way to reach me is via email. Okay. So, uh, that email is laura.escobarratliff at uk.y. I'm going to spell it out. It's L-A-U-R-A. Mm -hmm. That's my first name, Laura. Dot Escobar, E-S-C-O-B-A-R mm -hmm. hyphen R-A-T-L-I-F-F at uky.edu. Perfect. Um, so that would be my, the best way to reach me is via my email. Perfect. And we would definitely include that link um, for this session of our podcast. So, again, we are going to go ahead and wrap it up. And we thank Dr. Laura Escobar Ratliff immensely for taking the time out, being here, sharing uh, with us her passion, and again, helping me just. Remember why it was I was purposed to be here. So I thank you, and I know that you have helped multiple listeners out here today. So, thank again, you. thank you. And thank you again to our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, every Monday we will have a new podcast uh, ready to uh, be listened to by you all. So you all have a great and safe weekend, and we will talk to you next time.